This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Okay. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Empty Chair. Uh, if you're looking for Cole, I'm not her. Uh, listen, uh, she had a real bad family emergency to attend to. And, uh, you know, I hope all of you guys will send some prayers for her and her family. Uh, you know how I feel about her and how we all feel about her. Uh, she's a super person. And believe me, uh, this topic tonight is something she has a real passion about, and it pretty much would take a family emergency for her to uh, to miss it. So uh, here we are. So uh, what we're going to do here is I'm pretty much not going to talk too much because uh, I don't read much. Did, uh, did, <laughs> did you know that? Oh, my God. Did, it, did you know I, I don't read much? I really don't. <laughs> I can read. Good for you. Yeah, I, but I don't read. But anyway, we have, we have two amazing guests. They they must be because they both told me, you know, we're amazing. And I said, awesome. Yeah. So uh, anyway, to my right is. Uh, Do you remember? I, I, I know both names, but I'm going to get no. Wait, 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 wait. Jasmine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's because I read. So this is Jasmine, this is Anne-Marie, and what we're going to do is we're going to give them each about 15, 20 minutes or whatever, uh, kind of go through the dark days, and then we'll take a little break and we'll come back, and uh, they're going to tell us some of the amazing stuff they've done, and in all seriousness, uh, the coverage it takes to not only recover from what you've done, but to help others and to... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, really make a life. So uh, now I'm going to shut up. All right. Okay. Jasmine. Yeah. It's all yours. Then. All right. Well, Phil, thanks for having us. Okay. Um, and Cole, I send my love to you and I thank you for having us. Um, so January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Right. That is why Cole invited us. And I am the founder and director of Jasmine Grace Outreach. We are an outreach ministry that reaches out to women who have been commercially sexually exploited, mm -hmm. um, specifically sex trafficked. When we think of that word, um, that needs a little bit of explaining because I think some people don't even realize what that is. Yeah, and uh, I had a guest a few years ago that kind of explained it to me. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not completely uh, ignorant on the whole subject, mm -hmm. but yeah. I plan on learning something. Yeah, and, and how closely linked um, the commercial sex trade is to substance abuse. Yes, absolutely. Very, very closely linked. Yeah. Um, so as a survivor of that, um, both, you know, trafficking and addiction, I've been in recovery uh, 15 years. Really? Yeah, I had to think for a second. Awesome. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I have this small outreach organization, a couple of um, strong, amazing women on my team. Anne-Marie is one of our survivor speakers, recently um, joined our team. So I'm so glad she's here tonight to share. And um, that's kind of what we do. So we meet women in treatment programs and detoxes, halfway houses. We run groups and jails mm -hmm. and we help a lot of women First, self-identify. Okay. I have to interrupt yeah. you because you're doing the second half of the show first. Oh, I'm telling you the end. Yes. All right. Here, let me, here. I'm going right. to read your book. Let's see. Last page. <laughs> well, all right. I got to explain what trafficking is. That's why. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when, because when you think of human trafficking, when you think of sex trafficking, you don't think that it happens here. Right. First of all, and when you see someone like me today in recovery, driving in my minivan with my kids, you would probably never imagine Absolutely I'd be wouldn't. a sex trafficking yeah. survivor. Um, and so that's the whole goal is to meet women in, in early recovery, help them heal, help them realize they're survivors, and then take them on the journey. Okay. So how did you end, end up in this dark world? Get involved. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the main thing is vulnerabilities. Right. We all have vulnerabilities and some of us have more vulnerabilities than others. Oh, I'm loaded with them. <laughs> and you're loaded with jokes, too. Phil. No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, um, 
I don't have much of a sense of humor. No, you're, no, you're dry I humor. I appreciate you laughing at my corn. No, that's good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. So when we think about vulnerabilities, um, you know, we think of, have you heard of the ACEs score, adverse childhood experience? No, I don't believe I have. All right. So Google that later when you oh, have time. Thanks. And you want to read about okay. it. Mm -hmm. um, so adverse childhood experience, right? And so it's a, it's a little quiz, 10 questions. And it asks you questions of what you experienced in childhood. Have you experienced domestic violence, drug addiction in the home? Was one parent jail in jail? Um, did you suffer physical abuse, sexual abuse? And the higher your ACE score, then the more at risk you are later in life sure. for addiction, jail, institutions, right, right. trafficking, high risk behavior. So really my ACE score is only a four. It's not that high because I didn't experience um, any traumatic events as a child but my mother suffered severely with mental illness. And my father wasn't really around because he owned a small business and he was busy providing for the family. Sure. So it just left me um, kind of on my own from a young age. But I had loving grandparents and a bigger extended family and felt connected there, but again, not really safe and secure because of my mother's ups and downs and mm -hmm. so forth. And I never jumped to becoming a prostitute as a child. No one ever does. No, no little girl, you know, no. we have dreams. We want to be teachers, veterinarians, um, mothers, lawyers. Yeah, yeah, prostitute, probably not that high up on the list. Nothing. No. Not on the list. Now, even women that I work with today who were seriously traumatized as children, sexually abused, never dreamt of becoming a prostitute. Sure. But because that dial has already been turned, that abuse has become normalized. So when they're, you know, young, getting sexually abused and physically abused and they run away, and they end up in group homes or the foster care system, and then they get recruited really easy. Yeah. And a trafficker comes around and promises what was so freely taken is now going to get paid for. This seems like an upgrade. And it's always sold as empowerment. Oh, you're going to have a family. You're going to have a business. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You can have anything you want. This is going to be great. You're having sex anyways. You might as well get paid for it. Right? So we're always sold the lie. Mm. And we believe it. Again, takes us sometimes a little bit longer to be brainwashed and manipulated based on our prior trauma, the grooming process. Mm -hmm. Because when my trafficker met me, he had to do a real good job at grooming me and manipulating me to get me believe this was going to be a good idea mm -hmm. because I wasn't sexually abused as a child. But when you have a woman who already experiences that trauma, when a trafficker comes along and offers you, he doesn't have to do so much grooming because you've already been groomed. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. So those vulnerabilities increase. And all of us come from certain vulnerabilities, right? But the more vulnerable we are, the more at risk we are. But anyway, I went to vocational high school. I went to uh, the Voc in Wakefield. Oh, I yeah. wanted to be a hairdresser. I graduated with a cosmetology license and a um, high school diploma. I was working at a small hair salon, going to community college. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a writer. I thought I moved to New York, right, for a fashion magazine <laughs> and work at a fancy hair salon. I had dreams and goals. But unfortunately, I was drinking and drugging and um, partying. Doing now, how did the drinking and drugging get, get started? Yeah. I was like 12, 13 yeah. um, at that the, middle school age. That's yeah. a common age, yeah. And I was hanging out with boys, older, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Mm -hmm. I always say I was spelling love, S-E-X. Right. Because okay. I didn't know. I didn't know that's not what you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And um, if I wasn't given it, they were taking it. So I did experience sexual violence as a teen. Sure. And I didn't know how to process that or who to tell. So you carry shame. Right. And that is the number one tool of the enemy. Keep us silent. Keep us sick. Keep us closed off. Sure. And um, had, you know, unhealthy relationships throughout all high school. Um, unfortunately, had an abortion at 18, okay. which produced trauma and more shame. Sure. And by the time I'm 18, 19, I was just vulnerable and looking for love in all the wrong places. And do you remember the Palace Nightclub? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So I was there at probably 14 years old anyway. Oh, really? Yeah, young. I was underage, drinking, partying, wasn't hard to get in. And I was, by this time now, 19, it was a regular occurrence being at the Palace. And I meet a guy who knows some friends of mine, who wasn't a complete stranger. And he brings me to the bar and he spends $7 on me and I'm impressed. That's all it took. <laughs> you know, he was handsome and he had a lot of cash and jewelry and he was uh, fancy clothes, you know, and I was intrigued. Sure. And we exchanged phone numbers, got together a few days later and he showed up in a champagne colored Mercedes Benz. And there were clear red flags that he was a drug dealer. 
But because of our culture and society, and because we glamorize that lifestyle, and because I come from a dysfunctional background with a lot well, of addicts. Don't forget, how old were you with the 19. Yes. Yeah, so flashy. Yeah, yeah, all acceptable. Sure. But when I talk to young girls today, I always like, note to self, don't date the drug dealer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's not a good mm -hmm. idea. Um, and so that was acceptable. It was glamorized. It was okay. And we began to date. And before I know it, he started to slowly drop little seeds and ideas of this lifestyle. And he sold it as we can have, a, again, a family, a business, anything that you want. And it was empowering. And I wasn't thrilled. He had to really, really talk me into it. it. Took a long time at my family, came over for Christmas, Thanksgiving, played the boyfriend role. Really? Got me to love and trust him. Um, he didn't have any other women working for him at that time. You know, he he was new to that life. He had been a drug dealer and he was learning this lifestyle from older pimps and traffickers, right? Your father's a pimp, your cousin, you're, you gets passed down. And I don't want to say men are only traffickers because women are too. Mm -hmm. I, I work with a lot of women today whose mothers were their first exploiters because sure. the mother had a drug addiction. She trades the daughter for drugs. Yeah. And that I have heard of. Yeah, very yeah. common, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and not only girls or women are victims, boys and men can be victims as sure. well. Absolutely. But the one part we do have to talk about is the demand because the demand is men, unfortunately, right? Men are the demand. Men are the sex buyers. Yep. And that's a whole nother conversation um, of why this continues. And trafficking has been happening forever. A lot of people say, oh, prostitution is the world's oldest profession. And we say, no, it's really the world's oldest oppression yes. against women and children. Because again, no one decides to do this and you don't come out unscathed. You always come out with deep, deep soul damage. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed mm -hmm. to oppress. And as quick as that money comes in, as quick as it goes, right? And when you're being trafficked, the money doesn't even stay in your hand. It goes right to the trafficker. Yeah. And so <clears throat> over this period of uh, three to six months, he's grooming me, getting me to love and trust him, dropping seeds of doubt. Why would you want to go to school? That's stupid. Why would you want to work at a salon? We can own one selling me this fake dream and i happen to have a best friend who got involved in the lifestyle and i didn't know she kind of disappeared for a few months and i got invited to a college party salem state university i had guy friends that were there and i'm in the dorms we're drinking and partying and they tell me that a girl's going to come and strip be the entertainment okay you know again normal fine until the girl walks in and i realize it's my best friend and I was in shock because I didn't know. And we cry, ruin the party, get kicked out. You know, a bunch of drunk college boys mad because two girls are crying. And I go back home, tell my boyfriend what happened. And he knew her trafficker by chance. Mm -hmm. So a few days later, he takes me to her house. You know, she lives Chestnut Hill. Nice, right. big, fancy house with a Range Rover and a BMW in the driveway. You know, the neighbors doesn't know that this is this, this man's sure. stable and he has four or five women living there and he's trafficking them. And uh, she has her own bedroom. He has his. A few of the other girls shared a room. That's how many there were. And my friend wasn't handcuffed to a radiator. She wasn't drugged. She wasn't beaten. If anything, she had Louis Vuitton bags, clothes, shoes, jewelry. And she was telling me that she goes and works at a massage parlor and these dance, you know, just stripping. And she gives all the money to her man. And he buys her anything she wants. And it was totally, again, glamorized yes. and, 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 and normalized. And this was new for her. So it was exciting. All the trauma and the beatings and all that hasn't, you know, been instilled yet. And so this kind of seals the deal. I was like, maybe I am missing out. Maybe this isn't going to be that bad. So I agree. But did I agree because I thought this was a wonderful idea and I couldn't wait? No, I agreed because of my prior vulnerabilities and trauma on top of the brainwashing and manipulation. And the main tactic of traffickers is to make you believe you chose that life. Because sure. if you chose it, it's your fault and you stay. And so that is the whole purpose of that. So I say, if I don't want to do this anymore, can I stop? He promises, yeah, you don't have to. So before I know it, I get sent down to Hartford, Connecticut to a massage parlor. I've been in business 20, 30 years. Uh, my friend teaches me how to hustle, how to, how to make the sex buy is um, give you the most amount of money to the least amount of work, mm -hmm. right? There's the rules to this as a whole that you would never imagine the, the way, the rules that things you learn. And I, I sent down there with um, high heel stilettos, skimpy dress, condoms, baby wipes. And I go in this building, there's a security guard at the door. They buzz me up. They know I'm coming. They change my name, right? So right away, new name, new identity, 
uh, how much you have to be somebody else to please these men, you know, at one after the other all day long, you know, because you're selling a fantasy. You know, you can't tell them the real story that they wouldn't pay you. That's depressing. So you're always making up a story. You're always whoever they want you to be. And um, the first guy who comes in the lounge, pays the door fee, he comes in. We're all sitting on these little sticky couches. It's dark. It's musty. There's no windows. There's probably a handful of women, 16 years old, you know, young girls to 60-year-old women, all most likely were traffickers. And they come in and they pick whoever they want, give you a ticket, and you go in the back. You, and then you meet in this other room, hallway. It's long, eight or nine rooms with a mattress and a nightstand. And you do what you do for the hour, the half an hour. And in order to cope with this type of trauma, I just unplugged. I disassociated. Now, how long were you involved in this? Five years. Five years total. Completely sober. Uh, tell, tell me something. <clears throat> when did it come to a point where you had enough? A couple of weeks. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The, right away. The, the moment I had to exchange myself the first time, this I knew this was not right. This is wrong. This is disgusting. I can't do this. And I unplugged. I disassociated in order to cope because right. I, I had no substances. I was completely sober, traumatizing. But then at the same time, once he hands me all that money, that produces adrenaline. And that's exciting. Yeah. Oh, look how much fast money I just made. I'd worked at a hair salon, maybe making $80 in tips for eight hour shift. Mm. Now I just made it in a quick half hour. Right. Yeah. So I stayed there a few days in a row, two, three days. I had to sleep at a little motel. He finally comes back, picks me up. We get out of the car and it's like daylight. You know, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm disgusted. I'm traumatized. And I have this pocket full of money and he puts out his hand. And I knew the gesture meant hand it over. Yeah. But I yeah. sat logically thinking, why would I give it to you? You weren't even there. Yeah. Um, I thought you were my boyfriend. I thought you loved me. Wait, I'm having sex with strangers. How is this going to work? And he says, is there going to be a problem? Wow. And I say, no. And I hand it over. And then I go back home to my parents. I go back to college. I go back to the hair salon. And for a few weeks. Now your parents weren't aware of this. No. I, I disappear for a few days. No one knows. No one's sure. paying attention. Yeah. They didn't as a kid. No, mine as a 19-year-old. Right, right. Um, they weren't, you know, they weren't very involved ever. Been making my own decisions, running things for a long sure. time. But every time I needed help, I give my parents credit. They always lived in the same house and they always opened the door. Yeah. As long as I was sober, doing the right thing, even in my trafficking those five years, when I would escape, I would I would call my dad. He'd come pick me up. You know, whatever I needed, always left the door open. Okay. Tell me, how the hell did you finally get out of it? Yeah. So long five years, um, tried to escape many times. Again, the brainwashing, the manipulation thought I'd always be a no good, dirty prostitute because sure. that's what he told me. No one would ever love me. No one would marry me. You get in, it becomes your identity. And who would, who would accept me at this point? I am just becoming somebody completely different. You get addicted to the lifestyle. How will I go make $8 an hour when sometimes I can make $1,000 a day, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just so extreme. Um, really everything was under his control. It's like being in a cult, right? It, sure. It's mind oh, control. I can see that. Sure. Yep. Um, it's like domestic violence on steroids because he uses violence as a way to keep me under his control. Always the ups and downs, the roller coasters. But finally, after the five years, long story short, um, the massage parlors I had worked at all shut down and now the internet was popular. Oh. So he's posting ads of me online and I'm working all over New England and he's not coming with me all the time because again, I'm trained. Right. And I even saw my primary care physician the entire time I was trafficked. He didn't come with me. Um, all these things. But at the end, I meet a guy off Craigslist, called me regular sex buyer, and nothing happened the entire hour. He just paid me a lot of money and we got to know each other. And then week after week, he would continue to call me back. Now, I am not suggesting to any guy <laughs> out there, that this is how you like rescue women yeah, out yeah, of the sex yeah. trade. Yeah. But everyone has an exit story. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. everyone has a way that they were able to exit. And this guy became my safe person okay. because he owned a small business. He was Italian. He was from East Boston. Like we could have been cousins. And um, we watched SpongeBob and like laughed. And I liked him because he never touched me. Right. And so he became safe somewhere in my mind. Sure. And I was ready to go because at the end of the five years, just about I got pregnant by my trafficker and he forced me to terminate that pregnancy. Oh. 
And I thought, no way, the baby's going to save my life. It had been five years. Look at all the money. I used to write down, it's in the book. I used to write down how much money I make. And I'd show them, look, to give you an idea, in 30 days, I made $28,000. Really? I barely make that a year now, right? Doing what I do, barely. Imagine, so in a month, and he had all other women working for him. So I'd always say, can I stop? Can I stop? And I'm pregnant. I can have everything you promised. No, that's not an option. You're going. Wow. I had to do what I had to do, and that lit the fire inside. I was, if you're going to do this to me after all the years, make me take a life, I got to go. So I started saving money without him noticing. Um, I'd put money every night, a few hundred, I'd take off the top so he wouldn't notice, put it in Ziploc bags, tie elastics around it, and put it in the dirt in my potted plants. And I'd save a few thousand dollars. But how does a woman who's been in the commercial sex trade go fill out an application at a real estate agency? You can't. Right. And that's the purpose, yeah. right? But this guy owned a small business. And so I reached out to him. I said, I'm in a lot of trouble. My name's not whatever. It's Jasmine. Can you lie and say that I work for you? Sure. And he made me fake pay stubs. He didn't ask me any questions. And I was able to get my apartment. Good. A miracle. Yeah. Right? God's grace. And I um, called the local police. I lived in Everett at the time. I said, my boyfriend's going to get mad. Can you hang out on the porch? The cops stood there. My trafficker stood here. I left with two trash bags. Nothing. See, that's the other problem. No one wants to walk away from everything that they've done. Sure. You, you don't walk away. He doesn't, wasn't helping me pack. You know, I was, I, I was leaving with nothing. That's the other problem. You don't want everything you did to be for nothing. Mm -hmm. My cat and my dog, two trash bags. I get in one of the cars. It was in my name anyway. I go to my new apartment. The cops didn't oh, follow me or like even domestic violence, like even nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeless. I'm traumatized. Um, beside myself. I call my mother. Thank, again, thank God I have someone to call. She doesn't ask many questions, but she hadn't, you know, known over those five years, in and out, the black eyes. You know, she saw the stuff. She didn't ask many questions, but she helped me put it together. And a few weeks go by, and what do I do? I call him back. Because I don't know how to do life without him, right? Trauma bonds, right? And the Stockholm Syndrome. Um, also, there's rules to this life. You go out and prostitute on your own. You're a renegade. And your other option is to get purchased by another pimp. But I didn't want to do that because I know how much more violent that guy was going to be. Right. So at this point, I try to stick to what I know. A um, few more weeks go by. We're trying to work out a deal. I'll live here. You live there. I'll give you a cut of the money. A lot of violence, a fight. We got into an argument. He broke the door, a lot of blood. I called 911. I was done. I would never have done that. I was very loyal, right? Called 911. He was arrested for domestic violence charges, which um, helped me get a restraining order. And I did, and he stayed away from a piece of paper. Now, not many traffickers are going to stay away because of that. Right. But he did. Yes. A lot of, I was causing too much drama, I think. Great. I try to get a normal job, a secretary, 9 to 5. I'm falling asleep at the desk. I can't pay my bills at the end of the month. I can't talk to normal people because I'm, I'm like a fish out of water. I have no idea how to do this life. You can just plot me on a lifestyle and put me in a normal society. But I'm trying, and I'm hanging out with new friends, and they're all coming over my big empty apartment. And getting high on Oxycontin. Oh, and life would just unravel from there. Because I just wanted the pain to go away. That's yeah. it. Just make that pain go away. So you really went from being a prostitute to really getting hooked on the uh, super drug. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to leave right that there. Yep. You've depressed me. <laughs> no. It's my specialty. No. You have an amazing story. And uh, I do want to give you a chance later to talk about your book and what you do. Okay. Anne-Marie. Hi. <laughs> All right. So um, my story is a little different than Jasmine's. Okay. Um, how it started for me was my addiction, right? So I started using drugs at a very young age. Um, Just out of yeah, how old were you? So I started using heroin at age 16, oh, right? Yeah, so I'm 40. Is. So back then, it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't an epidemic. Um, no. People weren't dying left and right. No, that's right? that's when my daughter was yeah. Uh, yeah. in her heyday also. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I was 16. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And I picked up drugs through a guy, right? Because there was always a guy behind it for me. There was always, I was I was always codependent, right? Um, so I picked up and like I said, I didn't know. I didn't even know you could get sick from it, right? I found out real fast. And for me, like consequences happen fast. Um, you know, like, you know, I was still in high school. I dropped out of high school. Um, started getting arrested when I was 17 years old. And, you know, that's how I found out 
I can get what I want from selling myself, right? Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, vulnerability. I can't get the word out, but I think everyone knows what I mean. Yes. Um, So that would be mine. It was my addiction, right? And, you know, I I started doing that. I started trading myself for drugs um, through a drug dealer. Yeah, through a drug dealer, right? And that's when I was like, this is, you know, survival for me. This is how I, I can keep getting high. I don't think many people realize how mm-hmm. a lot of drug dealers also exploit yep. um, victims' sure. vulnerabilities to the drug addiction, mm-hmm. and they know that. I have what you want, so let's trade. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then a lot of times, sure. the women still have to pay for the drugs on top of. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that really upsets me, you know, that yeah. it happens. It's so common, and so many women don't realize that they're survivors of exploitation. They just think, oh, I had to do what I had to do for the, with the dealer for the mm-hmm. drugs. No, mm-hmm. wait back up mm-hmm. he exploited you yeah he's an exploiter yeah or he, you know and it didn't end there right. so that was just the beginning for me right and like i said like that's how i found out like i can get what i want right through through selling myself and True. um you know as my addiction it progressed as the years went on and um it took me to a really dark place and like like you had talked about, like, so there was times when it was like really glamorous and I'm on back page and I'm, you know, I'm making, I'm making good money and I'm in hotel rooms. And then like for the, for me, right. So it took me to a really dark place, right. Because I knew I could keep getting high because it's an endless hustle. Right. Um, it kept me out there a very, very long time. And, um, you know, the last, the last 10 years of my addiction. Um, so I got clean when I was 35, you were you were addicted for ten years. Oh, no longer than that. I mean, on uh, on heroin, yes. So I would say, um, you're so very lucky to be alive. Yes. So I believe. So I also, you know, um, medication assisted treatment. I I feel like that may have saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent many years on a methadone clinic. Sure. Um, but with that, for me myself, and I can only speak on for myself, I substituted. I picked up crack cocaine and yeah. you know that's where it took me mm-hmm. um you know i ended up on the streets of downtown boston um and that that took me a 10 years out there right and that's a really like tough place to be um as a woman a female on the streets alone um you know i did I, a lot of trauma from that like just you know continuously um you know because in the end like i had said it wasn't glamorous anymore right, right. So now I'm walking the streets, getting in cars with whoever, not knowing if I'm going to get out or not, or not, right? Mm-hmm. Taking that chance, like risking my life every day. And like, there was times, you know, a lot, a lot, like, you know, you get beat up. It was like, to me, I just erased it. Like it never happened, right? I would literally, um, black eye, keep moving on to the you next. You pretty much accepted that I way of life. I accepted it, right? Because... I wanted, I, I needed, and then I became like, I need to use to like, just erase it from sure, my head. Sure. So it was like a vicious cycle for myself. And, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my own way. And, um, you know, t- not to interrupt you, but no, okay. Jasmine was telling me about the relationship yep. that she continued with uh, mm-hmm. her family. What about you? So I can say for myself, right. I'm at this point, I had a daughter, right. Um, my, How old were you when you had your daughter? I was 20. I'm sorry, 26. And um I was clean when I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I was on I was on methadone and I had my daughter and you know I thought I thought that was gonna fix me. I thought that was gonna change me. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, yeah. and I picked up. And for me, I, I kinda like blocked it out that I even had a family, right? That I had a daughter. It was very painful. Um I I I had family, like I had my sister who I could reach out to. She's in recovery as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how me and Jasmine got connected again was, you know, she's in recovery, Jasmine, they were kind of partnering for some events and that's how we got connected. And um, I knew she would help me if I reached out, but I didn't reach out. You know, all that shame, that guilt, like at this point um, where my addiction had taken me, right, was that I was not asking for help anymore. Um, I was not seeking treatment. It would end for me um, in handcuffs, right? And I've been arrested, I've been arrested for, you know, sex for a fee multiple times. And that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for myself. It's embarrassing for my family. Like that has to be on my record. Um, and you know, and I would still continue, right. That never stopped me. 
because like you can't scare somebody that's that's on a mission like that mm-hmm. and um you know i i a lot of a lot of things happened and um i know jasmine was sharing about like you know she had to terminate a pregnancy um i had i had multiple like terminations and pregnancies like i also knew right and I'm, this isn't like debate that debate that at all but i like had known i don't know who the father you know all of all of that stuff and that shame and that guilt and then happen again and it, and it was just like is this going to end for me that cycle it it wouldn't end you know and um and when I, I I just finally had enough, mind you, I'm getting older. I clean when I was 35. There's younger girls than me, you know, cuter girls. Nobody really wants to talk to me anymore. I'm not looking so good. I'm not looking like what I looked like in my 20s. Um, the hustle's getting really, you know, wasn't good for me anymore in the end. Too much. It was getting too much like work, huh? Oh, it was, it was hard work yeah. because like, you know, in your 20s, I'm cute. I'm fun. I'm young. Yeah, you know, yeah. no, not so much in my 30s. Yeah. And, you know, too much shame. a lot of shame. Yeah. And, I, and like, even with all that shame, like that vicious cycle you talked about, I still couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it, for me, the drugs numb the pain. But I also wasn't so much pain from what I was doing. And it was just a, but I got to do it to keep getting the drugs in. You know, it, her it, daughter it, went to her mother, right? Yes. So, so my daughter, my mom, my mother took custody of my daughter. Okay. Um, she was one years old when, when I picked up again. Yeah. And she, she is with my mother still. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have five years. I got clean when she was 11. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I was in. In and out your of relationship, her life. What's your relationship with her now? Yep. So I, I love, um. I got clean when I was 11. Like I said, I wasn't really in her life yeah. the whole time. It took a lot of work, right? Sure. That was probably my most painful thing. So you have to imagine um, that long without, you know, being in, in my daughter's life. Yeah. It was like, I can honestly say like waking up from a nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm somebody's mother. Like I'm not, you know, I'm somebody's mother, but I'm not acting as if I'm somebody's mm. mother, right? You know, um, it's funny. Be- not funny. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I, you know, because of the group that I mm-hmm. I, I have, uh, we have so many grandparents Raised. that do have custody of yep. their children. Yeah. There's more than people realize. I know one of my best friends has got two of her granddaughters, mm-hmm. you know, full custody because her kids never did get clean yeah that's right and uh so it's it's going to be hard to build up uh it was really hard humility a lot of humility yeah a lot of humility like i it was very hard it was the hardest thing for me in my whole recovery right um was that relationship um one because it was really hard to watch somebody else raise my daughter right i had to own that i had to do i had to do some work around that because it was really hard for me but that was the damage i did i had to own that and once I was able to own that, I feel like that's when I was able to build a relationship. And it may not be the the typical mother daughter relationship, but at least I have that relationship because and it can grow. Yeah, and there was a time in my life in my addiction when I thought I would never have that. Yeah. Right. It seemed so far away. It didn't even seem like there was a glimmer of hope yeah. for that. Uh, you know. Oh, I think one of the things that's always kind of gives me a warm feeling is when somebody truly does find recovery yep. the gratitude that they have for the littlest mm. things that yeah. people take for granted oh i'll tell you what yeah. we're going to take like two minutes sure and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the good stuff oh i got some good stuff all right <laughs> i got some good stuff so i'm ready hang, hang on we'll be back in two minutes Haven of Hope is a faith-based 12-step recovery home for women seeking a loving and structured lifestyle to help them persevere over addiction. Our Sober Living House offers women an opportunity to gain life skills, coping mechanisms, and personal growth so they may return to their home or working field as productive members of society. Haven of Hope's approach is based on fostering a structured, faith-based life with a core component being the 12 steps from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, for with God, all things are possible. Contact Haven of Hope at havenofhopemethuen.org or call 978-258-3982. That's 978-258-3982 or visit us at 82 Union Street in Methuen. Hi there. My name's Phil Leahy and I do the Empty Chair Show here. 
And as much as Fran and I have enjoyed doing this show, our real passion is with where it all began, the Circle of Hope, my support group for the families of addicts. I learned a long time ago that dealing with an active addict is just too difficult. So we invite you to join our group, the Circle of Hope. Uh, give me a call, 978-886-2949, and you'll see our banner on the show anyway. And, and give me a call, find out what it's all about. You know, if you don't think you're ready to sit into a group, uh, Fran and I always invite people uh, over to the house and we sit down, have a one-on-one, -on -one, and we talk about a plan you'll have to set up, how to deal with someone in active addiction, or, or just give you a chance to vent. So, I mean, if you or someone you know has dealing with a, someone in active addiction, reach out, give a call, take the first step. I promise you that it won't make it easier, but once you understand what it's all about, you'll be able to deal with it a little bit better. So again, 978-886-2949. Just ask for Phil. I'm always available 24-7. Thanks, and we'll see you on the empty chair. Bye-bye. Okay, we are back. And uh, I think all of you out there, and, you know, I, the shame is I, I know a lot of people that don't tune in because they figure, well, stuff like this never happens to people like us. And, uh, and the truth be told, um, there's no discrimination, be it with drugs or what you went because actually you guys did the reverse. Yeah. She started on drugs, went to prostitution, yeah. and you took the other way. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, there is no right way. Neither one <laughs> right. of them are very no. good. No. But you know, you, you've heard what they've gone through, and you've heard how difficult it is to uh, to get out of that life and and start a new life. But these two young ladies have done it. And uh, they're going to tell you, especially this one here, who, who'd been teasing me all the time. <laughs> but she's going to tell you about a, a, a book she wrote that I'm actually going to read. Ha <laughs> and, uh, ha. And but I, I, what I want, this is where you give people hope. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed when I'm working with those in early addiction, uh, with families that there is hope and that's what's good about our groups because someone will come there thinking that oh my god this is and and then they'll see someone whose kid has been clean for three years four years five years okay stop talking okay so why don't you start off and uh, tell us yeah about your happy life right now my happy life yeah no it's very messy and complicated but hey it's all right turn, turn the channel <laughs> turn the channel okay. um no, so when I started telling you, I have a small organization, Jasmine Grace Outreach, mm -hmm. and the way I started it, it was called Bags of Hope, Oh, right? So no that's kidding. what I was doing. So once I got out of um, addiction, I got clean and sober, put down the life of prostitution because I knew they went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got clean, got off the drugs, everything, you know, I put that lifestyle aside and I started to put my life together one day at a time, right? did the 12 steps, went through the AA program. For me, I was on a spiritual journey looking for the higher power and Christianity, you know, Jesus came into my life, completely changed my life. And I found um, safe community and great people in a local church in Saugus. Sure. And I started to rebuild my life that way. And I um, met, a, met a guy, got married, and that's when all my trauma came out. <laughs> and, you know, you want to uh, heal from trauma, get into a relationship yeah, and watch what happens. Because yeah. you have to be vulnerable. You have to trust this guy. And yeah, I yeah. was all set with and, all that. And that wasn't really your way of life, was it? Absolutely not. No, it was really it tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so after we had our daughter, lots of um, healing had to take place. So we separated and the healing came. It's all written in the book. It's a long, great mm -hmm. story. But the healing came. So I was clean and sober and out of that life for five years before I knew I was a survivor. Oh. 
So the healing came, somebody told me that I was, and that's when everything changed because now I was no longer looking through the lens of a victim, but I was a survivor sure. and I was empowered. Right. So I wanted to go tell all the other women out there that maybe they're a survivor too. Mm -hmm. So I started making bags with soap, shampoo, conditioner, toothpaste, everything you need when you're on the streets because sure. I know what it's like to be there. Mm -hmm. And I started making these bags with my kids. I get in my minivan and I drive around Lynn and I'd jump out of the car and I'd hand them to women on the street. Now that's where I met my wife. There you go. <laughs> See, her not... kids still live there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And um, just met these women. They were a lot of them, you know, living on the streets. Some of them were in early recovery at the halfway houses. Sure. And long story short, started to do this ministry called Bags of Hope. People started wanting to give me money and give me donations. So I had to like turn it into something because it was catching wind. Mm -hmm. And I started speaking. Um, churches and conferences started to realize that there was a whole anti-trafficking movement out there started to train law enforcement and healthcare providers like really getting involved in the anti-trafficking movement and realizing that my story was helping other women sure. heal helping them self-identify like wow that happened to you too you mean i'm not alone like and then helping educate the general public because they don't think it happened tell me something i know i've had this feeling but i can imagine on your end when you have a passion for, for something and you start seeing results mm. and you start getting rewards from it, pretty cool, isn't it? It is amazing. Yes. And it's completely um, humbling and mm -hmm. it, just, it just fuels more of your fire to keep yeah. going. And I think that was the whole purpose. Early on, I started realizing my pain is for a purpose and I'm helping these women. So I'm just going to keep going because right. it wasn't wasted. Sure. And I just kept going and uh, wrote the book. The ministry well, why don't we, why yeah. Don't, yeah, kind of lift it up, let everybody see it. The there we it is. <laughs> so uh, it's the diary of Jasmine Grace. You can find the information on my website, jasminegrace.org. It's on Amazon. The cool thing about my book is it's all based on my old journal entries. I did a diary. Really? Uh, yeah, Phil Lady. You can. It's on a sticky pad <laughs> that I keep on the fridge. Probably, probably not. A, probably yeah, not. A, yeah, I, I don't think it is. Okay. <laughs> So listen, the one good healthy coping skill I managed to have while I was in my trafficking situation and even through my addiction was to write in my notebooks, sure. not about the horrific things I was going through, just more about the, the, the mental and emotional you stuff. Know, that's what, uh, uh, the guest I told you I had about Sarah yes. Lavelle, she did this exact same uh, thing. It was a diary and a lot of the parts of the books, well, she had things that she described, but she had letters that she wrote to herself in the book also. exactly yeah. it's a, a it's a coping mechanism sure. and I, I didn't realize i was doing it at the time right. it was the only good one thing i did even throughout my addiction it was sporadic right and i was able to save all the notebooks again at my parents house mm -hmm. and years later when i was doing the ministry felt led to go back and um i just started writing exactly what was in the notebooks i started a blog but then I realized, wow, this is really depressing. So I started putting present day reflections to show people how we heal and yes. recover and red flags and how to help sure. survivors and yes. addiction and so forth. And then finally, it took me two years and I compiled it into a book. I partnered with a, a science writer who wrote about what happens in the brain oh, good, during good, these times good. of yep, yep. my life and um, finally self-published it, released it in January 2017 in honor of National Human Trafficking Awareness Month yeah. and um, have given away probably over 500 books at this point because we sell a lot at events. Yeah. People donate and we give them away to the women. Sure. Um, but now you said you can buy this on, on Amazon. Amazon. Yep. How much is it? 15 bucks. Oh, I can handle that. <laughs> this is for friend, you, Phil. Friend. Yeah, this is for you. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, friend, you're going to have to buy your own book. <laughs> <laughs> this is it and you want to know something i know i've i'm really believe it or not i'm really interested in reading this because i read sarah's and you're going to find this hard to believe i think i read it in two days yeah it's quick yeah, yeah. uh because you really get gripped yeah. and uh i'm so proud of you yeah yeah all right aren't we uh what happened to you <laughs> over here um so, let, let's hear some of the good stuff okay so I, I feel like what, what Jasmine said is very important. So for me, there was times when I tried to seek recovery, right? And so the lifestyle and putting the drugs down had to go hand in hand for me, right? Because I had put the drugs down before and also stayed in the lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? And I always got high. 
So I knew this time, like when I had gotten clean, I had to put both down, right? And I did. And I stayed out of a relationship for the first year because I knew for me, that was my downfall, right? Mm -hmm. I get codependent on men. And um, I did that for the first year. So I found my path of recovery um, through the program. I, I attend any meetings. I still do that. But I also had found, you know, in my, when I had gotten clean, I wanted to give back. Um, and for me, that path, I wanted to help other women, right? So I started working in treatment. Mm -hmm. And I would say I was about a year and a half clean. Um, and that's where it started for me. Um, I started working as a behavioral health tech at a treatment facility. Um, and I did that for, for three years. And then I moved on and I, and I got a job. I was a case manager. And it, it's like, you know, to be able to help other people was the biggest thing for me. And now I, you know, I've, and I told you this, like when I was kind of telling my story, like I dropped out of high school with a GED and it was challenging for me, right? Because I didn't have like those basic skills. Like um, I didn't know how to turn a computer on, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how to send an email. Like, thank God I had people that were patient and helped me through that. Um, it was really challenging for me because I had lost a lot in my addiction um, as well as like even basic simple things. Like I didn't have a license. I didn't have IDs. I didn't have any of that stuff, right? right. Starting from scratch for myself. And like, it was hard, right? And I'm not going to say it wasn't, it was, it was very hard, but I knew like I needed to do this one. I was going to die if I didn't or two, like something trauma. And like, you know, like I had spoke about, like I had, I have a daughter that I hadn't been present. Like I, I wanted to be in her life. And whatever that looked like, um, you know, I was willing to do. And I got involved and I got connected and I, um, you know, and things started happening for me. And like one opportunity kind of led to the next. And like I just recently got offered and they're like talking to somebody that was living on the streets for 10 years of their life, right? With a GED education. Like I got offered a position to be a program director. And that that's like, you know, that's huge. And like some days like people are like, oh, what do you have for a degree? I'm like. Streets. Hmm, streets. <laughs> yeah, thinking in my head, streets. <laughs> but like, you know, like I have to be, a, you know, proper and like, I'm like, you know, nothing but a lot of experience, right? Well, and you want to know something? Experience is key. It is. Yeah. I know most people that go into recovery mm -hmm. and if they're talking to someone, they feel a lot more comfortable talking yeah. to somebody, somebody who's actually experienced yeah. it. Yeah. And they get so, it. You went to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> I, sure I, did. I went there. I graduated there. Yeah. Both yeah. of you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how many years of formal schooling you mm -hmm. had. Nothing beats what you have done to be able to pass on. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's like I still stay. Um, I'm still active in my recovery. Sure. Like I still go to meetings. I still have a home group. I still, if I'm of service when I can be, mm -hmm. you know, life gets busy, but I don't ever forget. Yeah. And that's one thing that like, I think has got me, you know, I don't forget where I come from one, because I don't want to go back there. No. And two, like, I am always grateful for every little opportunity that yeah. I get. Like yeah. I am just like grateful to be getting those opportunities. Sure. Never mind actually living them and experiencing them. Yeah. And I'm um, like, small things like people are like i have an apartment well, that's like normal for someone some, somebody else but for somebody like me that had lived on the street and did what i need to do to survive it's like the biggest thing to like go home and have my own place clean right sheets. clean sheets my house is immaculate i don't live like like i'm smoking crack there i'm sorry if i'm being a little too <laughs> Oh, I know. Well, there, yeah, but like, look, I don't look, live like you, that. You, you, you're gonna have to blank all of that yeah. out. <laughs> We're not smoking crack in my house. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think we've had worse said. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure. I'm pretty much sure we have. I'm sure I've said worse. Yeah, and like you know, I'm in a healthy relationship, right? That's, That's the good. biggest thing right yeah. now for me is like I never had a healthy relationship, yeah. and I can even say in my recovery, right, in that five years. I have made mistakes. I got in a very unhealthy relationship and settled for less in recovery. And thank God I didn't pick up yeah. in that relationship. But I grew, right? I learned what I don't want to settle for. And like my relationship today, my boyfriend respects me. You know, he wants to know how I'm feeling. Like all the things that like are were foreign to me, like I have today. You know, yeah. so like it is possible that people can change and recover. Sure you know? they, oh my, are you? I 100%. Know, I, yeah, I mean, I... I see people who really grasp recovery. Yep. 
they're the kind of people other people would like to be like mm -hmm. because of the gratitude yep. they have, because of the help they give others. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they don't... Um, the peace. The peace. I think it's the peace. People seek that. Yeah. yeah. And we seek it in all different things, mm -hmm. especially Absolutely. substances. But people who actually have fought the good fight in mm -hmm. recovery, yeah. have survived, and are grateful, you have a peace yeah. that's not attainable well, anymore. I else. know, you know, at MVPA that we before COVID, we used to have uh, quarterly uh, events. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the events we titled The Miracle of Recovery. Mm -hmm. And it truly is. I mean, I look at my daughter every day, and theoretically, she should be dead. Mm, yeah. And I look at all of you and all the ones that have come in here, and I say, they're alive. Mm -hmm. But they're not more than alive. They're, they're doing, yeah, they're living. giving back. Thriving. It's yep. pretty, uh, yeah. pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I hope you're both proud of yourself. Hundred percent. I'm proud of you, and I don't even freaking know you guys. <laughs> I'm gonna put you down the list as two more of my adopted daughters. Yes, yeah. I love that. I've got a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> Cole being one of yeah, my favorites. All right. You know what? Um, what I would like actually, maybe Cole, Cole checked in. She's on the comments, and she has a great question. Oh, too. okay. Oh yeah. Just talk about uh, what to look for if your friend or family is being trafficked. I was just gonna say that. Oh, good. Yeah. Cole, I was just gonna ask that. Yeah, that and that's what I want. What, you know, you were talking about red flags, early warnings. So, what are some of them? Not just that you would mm -hmm. look for, mm -hmm. but maybe your parents would look. Because I try to do that with parents who, well, uh, you know, red flags of uh, yeah. substance abuse, whatever. But you can go both ways on that. So, what would you? What would you or what would your parents be? I mean, if you could tell someone yourself of uh, back when you were 16 or 18 or whatever, what would you say to them? I, I would say really the red flags, for, especially for young girls, a lot of times something doesn't seem right. You know, mm -hmm. she's disappearing. She has this new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, the number one space nowadays that traffickers meet their victims and groom them is on the Internet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's no. Yeah. We're not hanging out in yeah. nightclubs as much anymore. We're sure. not at the mall. We're not on the mm -hmm. streets. Right. We're on our, you know, devices, yes. and they're sending them messages. Um, and the culture and society is doing a real good job at making girls think that they need to be posting these provocative pictures of oh, themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. In general, I've got two granddaughters. Uh, that are, you know, three granddaughters that range from eighteen to twenty-four. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I'll tell you, a lot of young girls um, today are being so groomed by the culture and the social media that they don't even need a trafficker, okay? Because there's apps and websites sure. that are luring them in, and this is the thinking behind it. So there's a site called OnlyFans, mm. and in order for you to have an OnlyFans account, you post provocative whatever types of pictures you want yeah, on let me, there. Let me write that down. And you get subscribers. <laughs> Oh, you okay. Do. So, so the men, these these men who are addicted to porn, sure, to sex sure, buying, sure. will become my subscriber, and they'll pay a monthly fee to me. But now they can message me directly, and they want certain types of pictures, yes. and they oh, want I this see. kind yeah, of thing, yeah, and they're, yeah. they're very demanding, and they have this one on one interaction yes. with you. And because of COVID, mm -hmm. how many things um, on the internet have exploded? Webcaming, uh, sure. you know, into mm -hmm. all this stuff. And um, these young girls, as young as middle school, I oh. went and spoke and I asked who has an OnlyFans or knows someone with an OnlyFans in middle school, and the majority of them raised their hands. So you've oh, had gosh. the opportunity to speak to school. Oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, that's wonderful. High schoolers, middle schoolers. Um, I was just in Andover High School not too long ago. Um, and they, again, the culture and society is grooming them and, and just pushing these young girls into this because, um, again, Instagram, they think, well, I might as well go on OnlyFans. Now yeah. I can get paid for it. <laughs> this, you know, I'm posting half naked pictures of myself already. So right. it's like a short jump yeah. or even girls in college. Sugaring Sugar is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, men actually have posted ads um, yeah. on campuses, flyers saying, if you need a sugar daddy companionship, I'll pay your, you know, your tuition, your rent. And these young girls get lured in yeah. with the idea that, oh, all it is is companionship. I just have to go for dinner. Oh, no. You know, that is a slow, slippery slope into yeah. exploitation because yeah. it's always going to be for a price. Right. There's always a deal to be made. Um, so just really to know what your kids are doing on the Internet is really important. If you have a young kid and you hand them that device, you better have a filter on it. You better know what's going on. Exactly. 
and um, really have these uncomfortable conversations, talk about what trafficking is, watch real documentaries. Yeah, because actually it's a lot easier to fall into that life now than... Oh, like wait. I mean, you know, yeah. you guys, it did have oh, to yeah. be done in person. Yeah. The old school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy even saying that, but, yeah. you know, it's... But, you know, it, it's what, true because, yeah, so the internet different. had pretty much taken over every mm -hmm. every aspect yeah yep. and you know yeah oh yeah you, no matter what you look everybody's always taking a selfie yeah. of them taking a selfie yeah is there a thing behind that uh, i, I don't understand i know my granddaughter <laughs> so i'm uh i'm a grandfather of uh, a couple of young teenagers mm -hmm. all right now, I know what I'd be looking for if I was concerned about them with uh, drug addiction. Mm -hmm. But as far as, uh, you know, that way of life there, is it really the Internet? I should really. Yeah. Just yeah. Be, uh, th that's like public enemy number one. Number now. one. Yes. And then say they do get involved. Now what? OK, so their stories are going to be inconsistent. They're going to um, be disappearing maybe here and there. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden have money or clothes and or extra phones, things, you know, inconsistent. Right. And then if it starts to look like domestic violence, oh, okay. that's another giant red mm -hmm. flag. Now, you, you said your, your parents were pretty much in the dark almost the whole time. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you think they should have noticed about you? Oh, it, it was clear red flags, clear. Yes. But they just stuck their head in the sand, okay. right? That was, that was that thing unfortunately and i don't know if they would have said anything to me if it would have changed mm -hmm. but again as long as i was clean she opened up that door and let me stay even when i would call and i need help my father would have come help me right. so they were available and that's big so yeah. many women stay out in the cycle because they don't have a good family yeah. to go back yeah and that's huge yeah you it stay is. out there longer all right Anne Marie. yes i'm gonna let you wrap up tell me something you know that what would you tell the people out there what to look for, what happened to you, how it could have been avoided. So I think that for me to, it's done from having um, self-esteem issues. So like, you know, low self-esteem, always looking for love in the wrong places. And then I would always um, surround myself with very controlling men, right? Mm -hmm. Men that would take the lead. Like I didn't have my own voice, right? And that's, that's for me how it started. So I think that's really important to talk about, um, you know, because if someone is feeling you know, like they have low self-esteem, right? They're going to look for somebody else to make them feel better. Now, tell me something. When you started using, mm -hmm. did your parents know? So, yes. Okay. So, not not directly right away, but like I had said, for me, um, very, like, early warning signs. Yes. There was no hiding it. Um, did it they, was. Did I they was... do anything as far as? So, uh... yeah, they, they did try to get me help. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I come from a good family. Like, I grew up in Saugus. Like, mm -hmm. I never thought you know, coming from that type of family that I would be walking the streets of downtown Boston, right? Lost, literally lost and, and having no hope. Um, you know, and, and I had found my, and I, you know, not only did my, my family try to help me, but I also had, you know, a lot of legal motivation that, you know what I mean? That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and still that wasn't enough for me, right? Cause it wasn't enough when it, until I, until I felt like I had enough. Right. And it took a lot of pain. Well, I got to tell you, guys, I was not really super looking forward to doing this show because of my lack of knowledge and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, how much I know Cole wanted to do it. But I got to tell you, my wife will probably say uh, when I get home, she says, geez, that's the quietest you've been. <laughs> I've enjoyed both your stories. Thank you. I've enjoyed your recovery even more. And awesome. I am. I, I truly am proud of both of you. Uh, I'm going to be reading a book. I do read. And uh, and uh, down the road, I you know, I hopefully maybe uh, Cole will invite you to one of our events. Absolutely. Uh, love to. I think it'd be a great topic, especially with drugs and this kind of uh, you don't really get one without the yellow for the mm -hmm, most part. Mm -hmm. So that being said, Cole, I want you to know we missed you tonight. Uh, we're thinking of you, and you do have our prayers. And that being said, uh, 
that'll wrap up the show and we'll see you again on the empty chair bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.